0: Hey there. You may have noticed there have been a bunch of stories in the last year about hospitals suing their own patients over past due bills. Or maybe it's just me noticing. That is the kind of thing I notice these days. But there is one story I knew I wanted to spotlight on this show because in this story, the good guys win a major victory. Last summer, independent journalist Wendy Thomas published a bunch of stories about how the biggest hospital in her city – Methodist University Hospital in Memphis, Tennessee, was suing thousands of patients, including a lot of its own badly paid employees. It was devastating. The hospital runs its own collection agency, and although it's technically a nonprofit, profit it banked millions in, well, profits the year before. And then, a couple months later, boom! Methodist Hospital dropped thousands of lawsuits and said it wouldn't file anymore. I mean, wow. (laughs) When a reporter does a story about one person getting stuck with an outrageous bill and the medical provider says, hey, we're going to reconsider this bill. That is one thing. And it's great. But I can tell you, based on my own personal inbox, there are a lot more of these outrageous bills than all the reporters in the world could write about. So seeing a reporter go to scale and win. Yeah, that gives me some hope. Let's go there. This is an arm and a leg—a show about the cost of healthcare. I'm Dan Weissman. A dozen years ago, Carrie Barrett had surgery at Methodist Hospital in Memphis. Her share of the bill was about twelve thousand dollars. She says she doesn't remember getting a bill, but after a few years, Methodist sued her for that balance, plus attorney fees and interest, that eventually brought the tab to more than thirty-three grand. A couple years ago, she entered into a payment plan, $40 a month, but then she fell behind.
1: It's because I had missed some times of paying them, because I really just didn't have it. I really just didn't have
0: it. So Methodist had the court garnish her wages, and she works part-time at a supermarket, earning $9.05 an hour. In January, Barrett asked the court to stop the garnishment and bring back the $40 a month payment plan. That meant paying a $27 fee to file a motion and showing up in front of an impatient judge.
1: And she said, you've been here four times now because you hadn't been able to pay your bill on time. She said, you will be made pay this bill.
0: And Carrie Barrett could not quite get the words out to plead her case. She just started coughing uncontrollably.
1: And I didn't have no cold. I wasn't feeling bad or anything that day, but that cough just came up on me.
0: The judge did not want to wait for that to pass. Carrie Barrett's case was the first on a long docket, all of them lawsuits by Methodist against its patients.
1: So she said, you're going to have to get out and we'll call you back when we finish here.
0: So Carrie Barrett stepped out into the hallway. She's religious and she has come to see the cough itself as providential.
1: It wasn't nothing but God that did that. Because it was due to that cough I had, and by me going out in that hallway to wait, I had asked God to send me somebody to help me. And after I came out the courtroom, Wendell was there.
0: Yeah, I had been observing court for for weeks at that point. This is Wendy Thomas, the reporter who eventually did all those stories about Methodist Hospital.
2: Listening to cases and, you know, looking for people to interview, you know, I don't want to quite call it stalking, but. I just followed Miss Carrie into the hallway, introduced myself, and she was um, kind enough to trust me with her story, and I appreciate that.
0: That meeting led to the hospital's lawsuit against Carrie Barrett getting dropped.
1: So she was the angel God had sent to me.
0: Wendy Thomas, reporter, angel. By the time Wendy Thomas met Miss Carey, she had been observing court for more than a few weeks. She had been on the case for months, and meeting Miss Carrie turned out to be a big deal. Wendy Thomas grew up around Memphis. She worked as a columnist and an editor at the Commercial Appeal, the big daily paper in Memphis, for years. She left the paper a few years ago and spent a year on fellowship at Harvard. And she likes to quote a question one of her professors posed.
2: What if poverty isn't an accident, but it's a robbery?
0: That resonated for her.
2: I believe poverty is a robbery. And if it's a robbery, then there are thieves. And the
0: thieves' names can be known. Publicizing those names sounded like her kind of gig. She returned to Memphis and started a nonprofit journalism project she calls MLK50. Here's the story behind that name. When she started the project, the city of Memphis was getting ready to commemorate the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination there in
2: 1968. The civic remembrances or events being planned for this were really celebratory. And they focused on... Um, some of the Pabulum King quotes, and I felt like it was, um, it was dishonest. We were being dishonest about why King came to Memphis. He came to support underpaid, mistreated black public employees. That was why he was here.
0: So she was all about going up against the status quo, and it was a super bootstrapped project. She lived off credit cards for a while. She got a little money from national funders and made it work.
2: And I really didn't give myself a – uh, plan B. So plan A had to work. It had to work. I didn't have any choice.
0: She got interested in medical bankruptcy. She visited the courthouse and the story was right there, hiding in plain sight. Methodist Hospital was suing a ton of people.
2: Methodist would have so many cases on the docket that one courtroom was reserved for them in the mornings on Wednesday. So if you didn't spend time at uh, General Sessions Civil Court, you would just have no reason to know. This is going on.
0: Some contours of the story leapt right out, visible just by looking.
2: The uh, racial makeup of the defendants was very telling. Black people were um, super overrepresented. And some of the defendants I talked to would say, you know, it's nothing but us down there.
0: And another dramatic angle was obvious right away, too. The hospital was suing its own employees.
2: Oh, you saw them there in their scrubs. You know, I could see their Methodist badge clipped to the front of their uniforms.
0: And the courtroom drama was not exactly a fair fight.
2: Defendants are just outmatched. You know, they don't have the resources of a a billion dollar hospital with its own
0: collection agency and attorneys. Defendants generally didn't have attorneys at all and didn't exactly know the way around the court. On the other hand, the hospital's attorneys were at this court all the time in front of the same judges every week for years. They had an easy rapport.
2: I mean, and that's the kind of rapport you would kind of expect to have with somebody you see all the time. But where does that leave the defendants? You know, Um, they're not going to be up there joking about the colleges they went to or who won a football game that weekend. You know, they just they don't have that.
0: And guess who is supposed to pay the attorney's fees? The people being sued, that's how the system works. The fees just get tacked onto the debt.
2: So they'll have in there that the hospital bill is $10,000. And so since they charge either 30 or 33 percent, that bill automatically goes to $13,000.
0: The starkness of this injustice spoke directly to Wendy Thomas.
2: For the however long I was living off credit cards, if I would wake up at night and remember it in that just brief moment, I couldn't go back to sleep. It was stressful. It was stressful as hell. And I can't imagine what it would be like to do that with children in a low wage job that there's just not going to be, there's just like really no way out. And any kind of minor emergency is just going to throw things into complete chaos. You know, a flat tire, your refrigerator goes out. I mean, a sick child, you know that you're having to take to the hospital, a child with special needs that you're having to miss. I mean, it's just a lot of people's lives can be so precarious anyway, and then to have a hospital do this to them, it's not fair. And I think people get get that that it's not fair.
0: And this wasn't just any big institution. It's a religious institution and it's an institution that doesn't pay any taxes because of its nonprofit status.
2: You know, the taxes, they're not paying to some degree for roads and city infrastructure. The rest of us are paying for that. As taxpayers, we're all subsidizing that. And, yeah, it's pretty noxious as well.
0: And this was a bigger story than she could do justice to while also bootstrapping MLK 50. And then ProPublica, a national nonprofit newsroom that specializes in big investigative projects, said it was taking pitches for year-long projects from local reporters – Wendy Thomas pitched them hard. And that was in fall 2018. ProPublica said, yes, it was on. Now, Wendy Thomas needed something else. She needed defendants to go on the record. She needed at least one person to be the face of this whole huge thing. And finding that someone was super, super hard.
2: So that was probably the most exhausting
0: Process. We'll hear just how hard it was and why right after this. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co production of Public Road Productions and Kaiser Health News, a nonprofit newsroom that covers healthcare in America. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with the giant healthcare provider Kaiser Permanente. We'll have a little more on Kaiser Health News at the end of this episode. Okay, Wendy Thomas's search for somebody to open up and tell their story begins with a simple truth.
2: There's a lot of shame around debt, we found, and so people don't necessarily want to talk about it, understandably.
0: Week after week, Wendy Thomas went to court, followed people into the hallway, and asked them if they would talk with her. And lots of people just said no. Others gave her their phone number, but never picked up when she called, never answered her texts. Wendy Thomas, did not give up.
2: I spent several Saturdays where there were people maybe that I'd met in court who then wouldn't talk to me, and I'd go knock on their door um, using the last address available in court records. And I would say things like, oh, you know, I wasn't sure if your phone got cut off or not, you know, or maybe I had the wrong number. I had the the right number. I've left all kinds of handwritten notes in doors, in the hands of, relatives who I knew weren't going to relay the message under uh, windshield wipers.
0: By the time she met Carrie Barrett in January, Wendy Thomas was getting a little discouraged.
2: After trying to reach out to, I don't know, 50, 60 people and having so many of them, you know, flame out, I mean, you just can't keep getting your hopes up. And
0: so Ms. Carrie thought you were an answer to her prayers and she was kind of an answer to yours.
2: Well, I'm not religious, so I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm not... I wasn't praying, but yeah, I was looking for somebody who would cooperate. And she made things
0: a lot easier. Especially because what Wendy needed was a lot more than for Miss Carey to just return a phone call.
2: She had to give me a whole lot of information so that I could verify what she was saying was true. So she gave me like, I don't know, 10 years of tax returns and, you know, permission for the hospital to give me a copy of her medical records and her billing statements. You know, I saw her... Uh, Checking account statements, her car insurance bills, you know, um, you want the story to be airtight and your evidence to be unimpeachable.
0: That also meant airtight data about the big picture. And that was no small task. It meant pulling years worth of data on every case in Shelby County to make sure to find every case involving Methodist. And you can't get it all in one go. Just getting the data from the county was a big job. And then that data's got to be crunched.
2: You have to join those files, and then you have to dedupe those files. Um, You have to join plaintiff names. That's for one year. And one year in one file type.
0: ProPublica helped. And still, it took months.
2: I've never had children, but it was like what I might imagine um, birthing a child would be like. Because toward the end, you were just ready to get it out. You know, I was a columnist for 11 years and most of that time I was writing three columns a week. So spending 6 months on a story, jeez Louise.
0: Finally, in late June, the story came out and it was airtight and it was a blockbuster. The headline said a lot. The nonprofit hospital that makes millions owns a collection agency. I mentioned that part, right? They own a collection agency and relentlessly sues the poor. That story documented 8,300 lawsuits in just five years. Carrie Barrett's story tied the whole thing together. And there were follow-ups ready to go. Like, the very next day, low-wage workers sued for unpaid medical bills by the Christian hospital that employs them, which documented 160 cases where Methodist had tried to garnish the wages of its own employees. And the hospital paid some workers as little as $10.08 an hour. Another story? Methodist flouts IRS rules by not publicly posting financial assistance policies.
2: The law says you have to have these posted conspicuously.
0: So she had gone to the emergency rooms for all of Methodist's locations, walked around and looked. Nothing. Oh, also, meet the board of directors. Names, photos, where they worked.
2: You know, getting back to that... The idea that poverty isn't an accident, it's a robbery, and there are thieves, and the thieves' names can be known, and so the board members have the authority or had the authority to say, we're not, we don't want these practices to exist, change them. You know, I tried to reach as many of them as I could find phone numbers for. Before the story published, nobody would agree to talk. Um, so we found their photos online. I thought that was important. You know, often the people who are struggling to make ends meet, we see their faces, right? We see their black and brown faces. But the faces of the majority white male board, those people are kind of anonymous, and I didn't think they should be anonymous.
0: That was a good one. And it all got noticed.
2: People were outraged. I think a lot of people in the Methodist church were very, very disappointed in what the church was doing. I heard from doctors at Methodist who said they had no idea this was happening, and they were outraged and took their complaints to the board. You know, the story also got a lot of national attention.
0: Actually, international attention, too. Wendy Thomas's first story came out on a Thursday. Over the weekend, the hospital CEO announced that the institution would be reviewing its policies and procedures over the next 30 days. At the end of that 30 days, the hospital announced a bunch of changes. It was adopting a more generous financial aid policy and would not sue anybody below a certain income threshold. It would raise its minimum wage from $10.08 an hour to $13.50 starting in September, and then bump it to $15 an hour by 2021. And it would no longer take interest or attorney's fees, the kind of charges that had blown Carrie Barrett's bill up to more than $33,000. Pretty soon. Miss Carey got a call from the hospital; they were reducing her balance to ten thousand. And a few weeks later, she says she got another call from a hospital official
1: and told me that my balance would be zero balance, and he was sorry for what I went through with that. and um, And I asked him repeat. I said, "Could you repeat that again?" And he said, "Your balance is zero, and I'm sorry for what had happened." Wow. And I said, that sounds good to my ears. <laughs> and so he said, I will be getting that in the mail, and I did.
0: Wendy Thomas heard from another defendant that their case had been dropped too. So she went to the courthouse to look at the files, see if there were more.
2: And I could see that they were filing, Methodist was filing, hundreds of case-satisfied notices.
0: Case-satisfied, as in, we are dropping this case.
2: Um, So many were coming in that the court couldn't even process them fast enough, and so... Um, A court administrator estimated that there were 2,000 notices sitting on a desk, and he measured those by stacking up reams of printer paper to measure the height of these stacks that they had. Soon,
0: those stacks got tall enough to bump that estimate to 4,500. And you can see a picture of them in the story that MLK50 published.
2: I mean, shame is a powerful motivator. It just is. And the hospital didn't look good. So they had to address it.
0: When I met Wendy Thomas, about a month after Methodist dropped all those cases, she was still processing it.
2: So yeah, it felt felt good. It was kind of surreal. You know, it all happened so fast and you're writing stories and taking calls and still doing reporting on for your next stories. And so I still don't know if I've had a like a chance just to say, like, wow, you know, me and my team, we did that. But it feels it feels good. But it had, you know, really good impact and not just for the people who had their bills forgiven or reduced now, but for the thousands of people who won't be sued. Yeah. But of course, we're we're still following up. Right. And so I have a reminder in my phone every two weeks to check court records to make sure they're not they haven't started to sue people
0: again. Still on the case. And around Thanksgiving, Wendy Thomas and MLK 50 scored another big victory. She had noticed by paying attention to court records the company that employs the ER docs at another big local hospital, Baptist Memorial, had filed thousands of lawsuits against patients just this year. She called that company up, and before Wendy even published the story, they promised to drop those lawsuits and stop suing patients and create a new, more generous discount policy for uninsured patients. I mean, <laughs> wow. <laughs> Wow, I wrote Wendy Thomas a note. I asked her, did she have time to say a few words? Nope, she's on deadline, had calls to make. I'm like, yeah, make those calls. We will have links to Wendy Thomas's amazing work at armandalegshow.com and in our newsletter, which I'm going to tell you, given this show's topic is amazingly cheerful. Not even kidding. Also informative and useful. You can sign up at armandalegshow.com newsletter. And it's holiday season, so I'm making the pitch. If you dig what we do, we could honest to gosh use your help. A couple bucks a month goes a long way for us. I mean, I just totaled up the money I spent on the half dozen reporting trips I took for this show in 2019. Cheap. Flights on Spirit Airlines, meal receipts from Mickey D's. That is how we do it. Your dollar goes a long way around here. We got big plans for next year. You can help us get there. ArmandalegShow.com slash support. Speaking of holiday season, next time on an arm and a leg, it is Christmas in July, or maybe it's July at Christmas time. Ed Bueller is forty years old. Every year, every July since he was born, his family and friends have organized a softball tournament to raise money for a family with big medical expenses. This year, the tournament raised $10,000. I don't want to say $10,000 is not a lot of money, but when, you know, life is hard, and when something's gotten in your way, $10,000 doesn't go really, really far. Especially when the something in your way is a big medical bill. So this year, they decide to do something a lot bigger. you kind of want to hear all about this. That's next time on An Arm and a Leg. Till then, take care of yourself. <laughs> This episode was produced by me, Dan Weissman. Our editor is Anne Hepperman. Our consulting managing producer is Daisy Rosario. Our music is by Dave Weiner and Blue Dot Sessions. Adam Raimunda is our audio wizard. Special thanks this week to Jay Hancock of Kaiser Health News, Sarah Cliff of The New York Times, and Dr. Marty McCary of Johns Hopkins University. They have all done kick-ass reporting this year on hospitals that sue patients. They all took time to talk about that work with me. This season of An Arm and a Leg is a co production with Kaiser Health News, a nonprofit news service about healthcare in America that is an editorially independent program of the Kaiser Family Foundation. Kaiser Health News is not affiliated with Kaiser Permanente, the big healthcare provider. They share an ancestor. That's it. This guy, Henry J. Kaiser, he had his hands in a lot of different stuff. It's a fun story. You can check it out at armandalegshow.com slash Kaiser. Diane Weber is National Editor for Broadcast, and Tanya English is Senior Editor for Broadcast Innovation at Kaiser Health News. They are editorial liaisons to this show. They are very kind and very smart. Finally, thank you to some of our new backers on Patreon. You guys are so coming through, and I couldn't make this show without you. If you pledge 2 bucks a month or more, you get a shout-out right here. Thanks this week to Sam Sullivan, Melissa Duffy, Nazgus, Jennifer A. Cummings, Ms. Gail 18 of westeros Nyack; Olivia Calloway, James Laporte, Ginny Baker-Cummings, Lindsay Ott, Tracy J. Hibbard, Stephen McFadden, Lisa, Alana Gohagen, Brooks Yang, Hope Wechkin, Mark Gershman, Jack Doppelt, Charles Bond, Jennifer Barton, Stephen B. Lewis, Susan Luke, and Emmy the Brooklyn Wonder Dog. We are gaining momentum on our goal to reach 500 patrons by the end of this season. I cannot thank you enough. I have nothing clever to say about that. Just thank you so much.